Cardinal Timothy Dolan apologizes for the U.S. bishops over-the-top compliance with the COVID lockdowns. Bishop Joseph Strickland says that any attempt to sever the Latin Mass from the Church is an attack on the Catholic faith. Cardinal Muller says bringing the Pachamama idols into St. Peter's was a violation of God's law. And before he died, Cardinal Pell said that the upcoming Synod on Synodality is a toxic nightmare. What's going on here? Are the bishops waking up to the secret catacombs pact that Francis is trying to inflict on the Catholic Church? Tonight, Catholic counter-revolution rising. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Michael Matt, and this is the Remnant Underground. Cardinal Timothy Dolan has second thoughts about how he handled COVID. You following this? This is this is a big deal. This is a huge deal. Mark my words. I think I think it's big, and it speaks to uh, that recurring theme that we always have down here in the underground. That as Francis Revolution uh, plays itself out in all of its ignominy. Uh, more and more bishops, are, and more and more people, but specifically bishops, more and more bishops are going to move away from this globalist Vatican alliance. That's my prediction. You heard it here first. Um, and I think we should anticipate that. I think we should pray for that. And I think we should prepare for that because it really is inevitable given where Francis is heading right now. It's just We're going to talk about this. It's alienating everybody. And Dolan now has a change of tune. More on that later on in the show. First, our sponsor tonight, Charity Mobile, the pro-life phone company in America. And they've given us a special offer just for you guys. If you make the switch for a limited time, you can mention the code REMNANTTV for a free phone with free activation plus free shipping. Great deal. There are no contracts. And when you go with them, 5% now of your monthly plan price goes to the pro-life, pro-family charity of your choice. And that list includes the Remnant Foundation. You can donate to us if you would like. So please call Charity Mobile today at 1-877-474-3662 or chat with them online at charitymobile.com. Now let's get right down to this, this thing with Dolan. I mean, this is interesting. On July 28th, 2023, there was an article in The Pilot by one Timothy Cardinal Dolan. An opinion piece, and it's titled, Did We Go Too Far? Now, in it, the Cardinal Archbishop of New York, and arguably the most powerful bishop in the country, makes some pretty astonishing admissions, if not sort of personal confessions. It's weird. We're going to put a link down here. Just click on it and read the whole thing. But he writes, I find myself undertaking an examination of conscience. Did we, as a church here in the United States, go too far in obeying all the restrictions imposed during the COVID pandemic, resulting in a lack of pastoral care for those who were sick. Our civil leaders, federal, state, and local, applauded our attention to the strict protocol, Cardinal Dolan writes, but did we go too far? That's pretty amazing. And he continues, however, I ask myself, were we equally obedient to the biblical commands to be near to the sick, to comfort the dying, to reverently bury the dead, and for us deacons, priests, and bishops to bring the sacraments and the church's prayerful accompaniment to those very sick from the virus? 
Um, yes, your eminence, exactly as we were saying. In fact, some of us, including my cameraman and I, were actually driving around picking up old people who would call this program and beg for us to come and pick them up during COVID and take them to their mass. And we're talking Nova Sordo mass because they were so cut off from the sacraments. They thought they were going to die that way. And she wanted to go to mass. She had seen that we were doing parking lot masses and she said, I want to go to mass. She hadn't been to mass in months. She hadn't seen the Eucharist. She hadn't received the Eucharist in months. She hadn't been able to see her family. And our heart went out to her. So we went out and picked her up, you know, and I said, we're going to run a camera and talk to you and just kind of give people an idea of what it's like to be an elderly, elderly person locked up in the name of compassion for the most vulnerable. And check her out. Are you, uh, do you like, do you think Trump is doing a good job or what do you think? Up until, up until they talked him into closing the government down for two months uh, for the COVID-19. I didn't think that was a good idea. Right. I noticed that since I haven't been receiving Holy Communion uh, for a couple months, I start to pray less. Is that right? Yeah. I, I try not to, but... No, that's just exactly it. You all remember that. You all have your own stories about that. People dying in nursing homes. Yeah, he's right. But, it, but wait, there's more. Cardinal Dolan continues. Many of our priests were innovative and courageous in the pastoral care given to our elders, housebound and parishioners suffering in hospitals. Bravo! But I nag myself. Did we do enough? Did we raise the point that spiritual consolation given to patients was as essential to the bodily care? Did we insist that our churches needed to remain open for Mass and the sacraments with all the precautions possible? instead of locking our doors. I just find this very interesting and rather incredible. He even tells a story about some nuns who contacted him during the pandemic, and they, they specifically say, we're not, call, we're, not, we're not talking about, we're not asking for your permission, Eminence. We just wanted to let you know in a sense of fair play that the state came to our facility for old people, for elderly people. They said, we're doing great taking care of the COVID protocol, but they told us we could no longer encircle the bed of the dying to give them comfort as they're dying in their institution. And so this nun says to, to Cardinal Dolan, Eminence, we're not going to obey that. And this, this was happening in real time during COVID. And Cardinal Dolan says in this article, he says, bravo, brava. It's excellent. Glad you did it. I'm very happy that you did that. So we're seeing something here. Something is happening. Dolan goes on, he says that he surely appreciates, his quotes, I surely appreciated and supported uh, Nicholas DiMarzio, who was the, then the Bishop of Brooklyn, for taking the governor to court. If liquor stores and beauty parlors can open, he argued, so can our houses of worship. We won, says Cardinal Dolan. <laughs> exactly, your eminence. Exactly. As we were saying the entire time, right down here in the Remnant Underground. It's why we went into the parking lots. That's why we disobeyed. And there is no weather, and there is no force or principality in heaven and on earth that can stop us from offering the sacrifice of the Mass.
glad, I'm glad you're finally saying that that was the right thing to do, your eminence. And then Cardinal Dolan concludes with the following, I think following sort of tragic admission and really a, quite a humble admission on his part, where he says, quote, part of me worries that future decades would not, future decades will not look back at us with the same admiration we now have for St. Aloysius Gonzaga, for St. Damien of Malachi, and for those young martyrs of Shreveport. Now here, Cardinal Dolan is obviously referring to the top of the article, he's discussing these saints, these martyrs. So he's referring to Catholic heroes who ignored concerns for staying safe, you know, in the face of past plagues in history, and instead gave their lives to take care of the spiritual needs of plague victims, as priests and bishops and nuns and all of us should have been doing all throughout COVID. Now this, friends, we're going to talk about this just briefly, because this is really important. They're not done with the lockdowns, right? They're, they're, there's a serious setback, and part of that setback, I believe, is the Catholic Church not going along fully with the program. Most of them did, but many of them are beginning to break ranks. What, what did we do? Even Cardinal Dolan, oh, did we go too far? Why did we obey like that, the state like that? So they're coming. There's going to be more lockdowns for sure. You know, so I would say, read this article, did, did, did we go too far in the Boston Pilot by Cardinal Dolan? And, and let's think about what we're going to do the next time this happens. Because <laughs> sure, obviously, it's easy to say to Cardinal Dolan at this point, your eminence, buddy, come on, a little bit too little too late, huh? You know, but the thing is, there's also another expression we could use, better late than never, because this isn't over. So maybe if we look at, maybe history will look back and they'll say halfway through the global lockdowns that were involved, first with COVID, then with climate, certain members of the Catholic Church began break, breaking rank, began pulling back, began fighting back, and that changed history. That's possible, friends. So I'm not sure it does much for us to just mock Cardinal Dolan, but you should have been there the whole time, bud, as tempting as that might be. And just to say, well, yeah, we weren't under the pressures that he was under. No, everybody, COVID will open up so many people's eyes to a lot of things, including the entire globalist agenda. Let's hope and pray that that's what's going on here. That Cardinal Dolan obviously is the clear leader of the conservative bishop bloc here in the States. He's a conservative leader in the church, throughout the entire church. Other bishops look to this man and let's face it, he's been slow to implement Traditionus Custodis in New York. <laughs> God bless him for that. You know, I, I, I think we should be looking for indicators that he's beginning to see what's going on here inside the Vatican. Maybe this is one of them. Just maybe. It's something to pray for, right? Not only is what's happening in the Vatican, maybe he's seeing this, not, as we do, not only as a crisis such as the world has never seen, but also setting up a sort of a new paradigm where bishops like Cardinal Dolan will have no place they're going to have no place at the table. They're not going to have any upward mobility. I always say, remember how this started, this thing with the mass, Traditionus Custodis. Before Francis came along to outlaw and try to cancel or at least decimate the Latin mass, what did he do? He banned tradition. He banned the celebration of private masses in his own basilica, in the Basilica of St. Peter's in Rome. The Novus Ordo masses. That's where it started. Do you think Cardinal Timothy Dolan would say, hey, that's a good plan? That's a good plan, Francis. No more private masses in St. Peter's, no. So they all started looking at that. He's actually going after conservatives too, not just traditionalists. And a lot of these guys are realizing, guys that were all in, you know, we're gonna have, maybe we have a chance at being the Pope, this is so exciting, we're gonna be part of the whole Vatican II movement, it's so great, you know, even during Benedict's reign. All of a sudden they're realizing, holy cow, 
what's going on over there in the Vatican? These aren't just neo-Catholic prelates in the Vatican. Half of these guys are <laughs> homosexual, gay people, whatever they are. The other half are wild-eyed commies, nut jobs from South America, just absolutely going for socialism and Marxism and globalism and everything else. And you don't have to be Marcel Lefebvre to look at that and go, whoa, what's happening? So what if? What if Cardinal Dolan is looking at the situation with Francis right now during the run-up to the Synod and he's going, whoa, what's happening? Weirder things have happened. Stranger things have happened, right? It's obvious to us. It's obvious to them. Francis doesn't like these guys any more than he likes us. <laughs> as far as Team Francis is concerned right now, with their globalist, anti-Americanist rot that's going on over there, as far as they're concerned, a patriotic, Irish-American conservative bishop in New York City, like Cardinal Dolan, he's part of the problem. He's white, he's conservative, he's patriotic. He doesn't have a place in this new church that they're setting up. You gotta remember, Benedict is dead now. <laughs> and it's open season on Benedict's reforms and it's open season on Benedict's appointments. Dropping like flies. So I would say this is a very interesting situation, if not opportunity. And this is the kind of thing we should always be scanning the horizon for, friends. Always look for the chinks in the armor. Always look for the, look for the problems, for the things, for the breakdown of the enemy, right? And we might be looking at one right now. Even a guy like Dolan might be figuring Francis out. And if that happens, it's going to change the whole, the, the whole landscape of what we have to do here to fight back. If Dolan sees it, who's next? And let's face it. This list of bishops and cardinals is starting to grow, <laughs> starting to expand. You have the usuals been talking about for years, the cardinal, you know, Kafaras, the cardinal Burks, you know, the dubia cardinals, fantastic. Look what they tried to do. They kind of got the ball rolling. Great. We all wish they had gone further, obviously. But they got the, the ball rolling, didn't they, where Francis is concerned. Last week, incredibly, incredibly, I told you about, you know, Cardinal Gerhard Muller, Pope Benedict's top dog, top theologian, the head of the CDF under Benedict, a position which, by the way, has been filled now by a Francis appointee, one Archbishop Helos with your mouth, Fernandez, absolute disaster, apostate, whatever the heck he is, right? That's who's occupying the position now. It used to be Cardinal Muller. Cardinal Muller's looking at that going, <clears throat> wow, it's happening. I had, a, I had a file on this guy when I was head of the CDF. We knew what he was. We all knew what he was. More importantly, Bergoglio knew what he was. <laughs> Click that story Edward Penton wrote about just to what extent they all knew what this guy was. And Francis went ahead and appointed him anyway. And now he's going to make this Fernandez guy a cardinal. <laughs> Again, you don't have to be Archbishop Lefebvre to go, whoa, what is, <laughs> what's going on? Now, Cardinal Muller is just hitting him out of the park, isn't he now? Some time ago, when, when we saw the whole Pachamama scandal, we were in Rome for that thing. It was such a scandal. It was so sad. And Cardinal Muller was quick to come out on Raymond Arroyo's show, and he called the Pachamama scandal a grave sin, as we showed you last time. He called it a crime against the divine law, friends. And what you need to keep in mind when a cardinal says something like that, who was it that was guilty of this crime against divine law? Who brought the Pachamama idols into the Basilica of St. Peter? <laughs> Pope Francis. Do you realize 
what he's saying. Do you realize how much courage that requires for a cardinal to say that? He's not some stupid blogger on YouTube who's got nothing to lose. He's at the top when he says this about Pachamama. Francis brought those idols into St. Peter's. And then a while later, Cardinal Muller comes out again. He says Francis is synod on synodality, which is his baby now. Woohoo! Three, four years they're setting the synod up. This is, it's all about listening. He's so excited about his synod on synodality. Cardinal Muller comes out and he says, if that succeeds, if nobody stops what's happening with that synod in October, coming up in two months, Cardinal Muller says, this will be the end of the Catholic Church and we must resist. Think about that. That's what he's been doing. And then in a little while, in, at the end of September, I'm going to have a chance to interview Cardinal Muller at this year's Catholic Identity Conference. He's standing with, basically with us. You see what, how, how, what, a, what a big deal this is? Do you know how concerning that must be for Team Francis to see so many cardinals and bishops starting to take a serious stand? And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, you got Timothy Dolan in New York going, wait a minute, what were we doing back there during COVID when Francis told us to lock down the world? What the heck? What about dying people? What about people in nursing homes? What about old people that needed sacraments? Why did we shut them out of their church, Francis? Again, back to the, to the, to the Catholic Identity Conference. It's a big thing. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not pushing for it. I hope you sign up for it. That's not the point. The point is we've been saying down here for so long, anticipate these bishops, anticipate an awakening, a grand awakening. We're watching it happen. It's more important than ever before for us to get serious Stop with the stupid internecing, the circular firing squad nonsense, attacking people right and left. Stop with that. Just focus on the real enemy because we have such an opportunity. Again, at, this, at the Catholic Identity Conference again this year, Bishop Schneider can't be there in person, but he's going to be there by Zoom. I'm going to interview him, right? Bishop Athanasius Schneider. Core Bishop Anthony Spinoza is going to be there. Archbishop Carlo Maria Vigano is going to be there again by Zoom. You see what I'm doing here? You see what I'm saying? This is the greatest gift. This is a gift from God. We're not alone. We have not been abandoned. By we, I mean the traditional movement. The faithful Catholics have not been abandoned. Despite everything that's going on, the worse things become in Rome, in the Vatican, the better the situation becomes for the counter-revolution, for, for the remnant, for those who are trying to hang on. Something's going on, friends. Something big. To say nothing of the amazing, miraculous, wonderful consolations that we get now practically on a daily basis from, from a heroic bishop like Bishop Joseph Strickland of Tyler, te Texas, who yesterday tweeted this out, <laughs> quote, Christ is the vine. The traditional Latin mass is rooted in the vine, robust with truth and bears much fruit. Any attempt to sever the traditional mass from the church is an attack on the unbroken link to tradition as received from the apostles, and it's an attack on the deposit of faith, end quote. God bless Bishop Strickland. Because again, think about it. Who is it that's trying to sever that traditional mass from the church right now? Francis.
That's Francis's deal. That's what he's doing. Curtisinos Custodes was his baby. It's his way of decimating and canceling the entire traditional Catholic movement. And you got bishops standing up and defending that mass, defending those of us who are, who are attached to it and who are trying to keep our sanity in our souls by attending that mass. Friends, it's not Pollyanna. It's not wishful thinking. This is war. And the army of the children of light has leaders now. <laughs> and they're going to have more leaders as Francis continues this war against tradition. And some of you I know still have, you still have problems with this. We <laughs> traditional Catholics, we're, we're quite accustomed to the distinguish, distinguishing the, te- the, church's, the church's teaching on when you can resist, how you can resist, what it means to resist, what it means to not question the papacy when you, in fact, have to question a pope. All these things we've been discussing for 50 years. It's not difficult for us. We know it does not set us outside the church. We know how to do this. We're good at it. But a number of you are new to all this. And it makes you nervous to resist Team Francis on the grounds of what Francis is saying. Oh, gosh, he's the Pope, man. I don't know. I mean, what are we going to do? Criticize the Pope? So I'm going to make it easy for you. As I said last week, we now have cardinals who are saying to us, we must resist. You must resist. Right? Cardinal Muller, you must resist. It's no longer up to us. We can always look at, look at God when it comes time for our particular judgment and say, well, the church leaders were saying something was really wrong and the faith comes first, right? So there's the first consolation. The second consolation, I'll give you just, just from my, my sort of uh, take on all of this. If you can't look at what he's saying and question that, then look at what Francis is not saying right now because it's almost more incriminating. Look what Team Francis is not speaking out against. We're going to throw that up on the screen a little bit. We have a, an article up right now where we're discussing this. Look what, look what they're not talking about right now. In the worst, in the, in the moment that I would say all of us, none of us have ever lived through a moment like this. Absolute social, moral, and spiritual chaos, right? On the streets, in the churches, everywhere. And Bergoglio and the vast majority now of his bishops and cardinals have absolutely nothing to say about the following points. And you can add to it because I'm sure you can come up with a bunch too. Why is it that the Pope, Cardinals, and most bishops do not say anything anymore about sin? <laughs> Why don't they say anything about heaven and hell? Why don't they say anything about death and judgment? Right? These people are new to this. They talk about climate change all the time. They talk about equity and inclusion. But nothing about the purpose from the point and purpose of what we're on this earth for. <laughs> nothing about everlasting damnation, a very real possibility. Nothing about the total disintegration of the family. Oh, every now and then they'll say something, but it's not nearly as important as climate change. Nothing about the great apostasy. Tens of millions of people who have just walked out of the church. Very little anymore about the crisis in the clergy as far as a complete shortage of priests. They don't have enough priests to keep the parishes going, and they're closing down tens of thousands of parishes every decade since Vatican II. Nothing about the mass exodus of Catholics from the church. (laughs) Just leaving the church. Nothing about the ongoing sexualization of children. Pius XI was writing encyclicals against classroom sex education a hundred years ago, calling it of the devil, destroying children's innocence. We don't say a word about that anymore. Why, the Vatican can hardly say anything about the attempts now to normalize pedophilia. Gender ideology. The surgical mutilation of children. 
the tidal wave of abortion, the forced vaccination of millions of people with questionable science now, and the mass excess deaths that have resulted. Francis acts like he didn't have any part in that. He said it was a matter of Christian charity. We were obligated to get vaccinated. He says nothing. But what's happened ever since? He acts like he wasn't even there. Nothing. They say nothing about the stripping away of every freedom, including the freedom of, of, of speech and freedom of religion and the freedom of poor, the, of the movement of the poor and the working classes, right? Nothing. Equity and inclusion. Climate change. So why this Pope Francis, friends? You folks, folks who are new to this whole movement, maybe some of you aren't even Catholic, but why, why doesn't Francis say anything about all this stuff? This is, again, as I said last week, this is within his purview as spiritual leader. Why does he say nothing about it? What is he, some sort of a scientist? What does he know about global warming? What does the Vatican know about global warming? Why is he positioning himself as an expert on global warming? The Pope's supposed to be an expert on the four last things, death, judgment, heaven, and hell. He never mentions them. He acts like we're going to live forever. Just listen to John Lennon's Imagine and just brotherhood of man, baby, when everybody's going to die. In fact, they're dying sooner and faster and more violently now than in the history of humanity. But death doesn't seem to come across Francis's desk. He doesn't seem to see the need to mention that, our mortality, equity and inclusion, the poor, the peripheries. <laughs> That's what he likes to talk about. And the reason he likes to talk about this stuff is because this is in the lexicon. This is, this is in the, the, the purview of his globalist friends. He doesn't want anything to do with, with the old Christocentric ideas of Catholicism, does he? <laughs> Talking about death and heaven and hell and God and angels. Oh, my gosh. Are you kidding me? This would fly right in the face of the sensibilities of his globalist friends. Because they want to build a brotherhood of man on naturalism, not Christianity. See, Francis is a turbo-globalist. That's, that's what he's been all his life. That's what he is. He's a pitch man for globalism. He believes in their causes with all of his heart, which is why he now spends most of his time engaging in outright fear-mongering on their behalf, on behalf of their causes. Buongiorno. On Sunday, Pope Francis shed light to the suffering climate change causes to many living beings around the planet and the urgency to fight it. I renew my appeal to the leaders of the nations to do something more concrete to limit polluting emissions. It's an urgent challenge and cannot be put off. It concerns everyone. Let us protect our common home. Ah, uh, yes, the climate emergency. Up there in his window, warning the whole world about the climate emergency. If it weren't so tragic, it would be funny, hilariously funny. This poor old guy up there worried about the planet when babies are getting slaughtered and everybody's losing the faith and defecting from the church and it's mass chaos. And he's like... The planet's going to burn up, though. Who cares? 
You gotta save yourself, everybody. You gotta save yourself and your children. Get out there. Get ready to submit to Bill Gates and Klaus Schwab when they announce their new global lockdowns, which I will bless and approve. That's what he's doing. Climate lockdowns. What was once dismissed as a conspiracy theory is now moving closer to reality. Environmental activists are claiming that we're facing a climate emergency and lockdowns are necessary to save the planet. And at the end of the day, friends, what's this all about? Oh, I think everybody knows that by now. What wonderful opportunity to conclude our week here with such uh, concrete proposals and ideas of how we can really create, I would say, a new world order. Yes, Klaus. Oh, Klaus. Francis's brother in arms. These two guys, but especially Francis, because he poses as a religious leader. It's not, he's not only alienating practicing Catholics all over the world, right, with this incessant you know, collaboration with the globalists and the incessant fear-mongering over climate, I don't know whatever happened to ecumenism, but this guy doesn't seem to give a rat's lower spinal extremity about that anymore because he is really, really ticking off our Protestant friends. Well, I've read this account in four different places today, and it has to do with the Pope. And I'm not in the habit of picking on the Pope except when he steps over the line and espouses anti-Christian doctrine, which he does quite a bit. And I have to pick and choose because I could really do a piece a day on him. Catholic people, no disrespect intended. You better pay attention to what this Pope is saying. <laughs> I don't know who you are, but right back at you, pal. In fact, I think I'm going to return the favor. And we want to send a message, a special message to all of our non-Catholic friends. We've got a lot of non-Catholics, a lot of Protestants who watch this program. And we want to send a message, and we ask you, Protestant friends, please spread the word in your Protestant communities, if you would. <laughs> How do we put this? Um, this comes from a Catholic, practicing Catholic, me, never miss Mass on Sunday, would never. Um, for the next few years, a word of advice from a practicing Catholic, do not trust anything coming from our Vatican. Please. Do not trust anything coming from the Vatican, from the Pope, and from most of the bishops. God bless them. One of the bishops just confessed, top of this show, a very powerful bishop, like, oh, man, what did we do? Why did we obey this? Why did we lock you all down, right? We can't forget that. Cardinal Dolan's, basically his confession, <laughs> his de facto apology. The next time the bishops tell us to open up the border down south, let everybody come up, bring the disease and all the, uh, and all the violence and the crime, the drugs with them. Or the next time they tell us it is time to lock down the planet because, gee, look at the temperature. Whew, that is hot. <laughs> God wants us, to, wants us to lock down the planet again. You know, stay home, don't, don't go anywhere and, and live in the city and leave the country and stop eating beef and kill your cows and every other animal that you can think of. You see, you see what I mean? When they come and they start buying into all this and trying to convince you that God wants you to obey and you must obey us because we're Catholic bishops, you got to ignore it, okay? That's what we're going to do as Catholics. They're no longer a moral or a spiritual authority over anything. you got little kids all over the place who've been abused because they've been hiding the predators and all of that's been going on for way too long. At some point, trust will be reestablished with the hierarchy of the Catholic Church, but it's not. we're not there yet. You can't believe them when they tell you you got to stay home and lock down, lock yourself down, okay? Everything you see, 
everything you hear from Francis, Team Francis, from Francis himself, is actually coming from the global elites who operate his puppet strings, okay? Every single thing he says, you know? They're using Francis to establish the moral and spiritual foundations of their new world order. That's his role. That's what he is. He's a puppet for them. They use this puppet in the white to lock us down when COVID landed. Remember, we pointed it out so many times, the solitary figure of Pope Francis, the world's spiritual leader, telling the whole world God wanted us locked down, masked up, and jabbed. That cannot be allowed to happen again. That simply cannot be allowed to happen again. Because this shtick is done now. The God of Surprises, he keeps talking about. Well, Francis's God of Surprises is green. <laughs> he's in bed with Bill Gates. And he's evidently Klaus Schwab's speechwriter. It's all the same. They're all the same. They did this once before to the world. They did it to us. They will not do it to us again. Now, I'm going to close tonight with another sort of what I consider kind of a favor, a, a reworked version of something that we did a few years ago that I really think now is more relevant than it's ever been. In fact, I would call it the Rosetta Stone, you know, for deciphering what's really going on right now inside the Vatican, especially in the run-up now to the Synod on Synodality. In October of 2023, Team Francis is going to do something very special and very dangerous and very scary. Cardinal Muller says it will destroy the church. It will be the end of the Catholic Church, right? And do you know why? Because Team Francis is going to try to finish the deal. They're going to close the deal. They're going to put the finishing touches on an evil project that was initiated in secret in Rome, beneath the streets of Rome, down in a catacomb secretly at the close of the Second Vatican Council. Okay? It's absolutely essential that you connect that, what happened in 1965 beneath the streets of Rome at the time of the Second Vatican Council, and Davos, and the Great Reset, and the New World Order, and what Francis is doing right now. You absolutely can't, you can't understand what ha what's happening with Francis if you don't understand the foundational thing that I'm going to explain to you right now using this, old, this older clip that we did. A lot of work on this. It's essential to know and to understand, in other words especially if you want to know and understand the synod on synodality, what's really happening. Again, which Cardinal Muller called a hostile takeover of the Catholic Church. And which, by the way, Cardinal George Pell, the late Cardinal Pell, looking at the synod, one of the last things he wrote, what he said about the synod, he said he called it a toxic nightmare. Do you remember? A toxic nightmare couched in neo-Marxist jargon that is hostile to the apostolic tradition and ignores such fundamental Christian tenets as belief in divine judgment, heaven, and hell. Which is what I just said. Only now it came from a cardinal of the Catholic Church. They ignore heaven and hell. They're not about that. That's not what any of this is all about. And again, the synod, what it actually is, it's going to be the completion of this thing. So the synod is actually a, then the brainchild of a Marxist council father, a guy at Vatican II was a Marxist from South America, from Brazil. So what we're going to do is we're going to watch this again. So that <laughs> now that everything with Francis has become clearer, when you watch the Catacombs Pact, which is what this is about, when you watch what they did, again, it, comes, it seems like it's right out of a Dan Brown novel, but when you see what happened, and you, and you look at Francis, you go, okay, I get it. I understand now. I, I, I see what's going on. 
called the Catacombs Pact. This is the connection between Davos and the Vatican. So here we go. Get ready to have your, your blindfold removed and get ready to be enlightened about what's really going on. Here is the Catacombs Pact. I mean, do you remember a time when Francis recently warned the world that they were they better get back and repent, for example? It's kind of his job. Have you heard Francis telling the world they got to repent of things like abortion? Of course not. Why not? Because there has been a revolution. It's because 50 years ago, the modernists, which are just globalists with theology degrees, in case anybody's wondering what these guys were, they, if you'll forgive me, they, they defunded the priests. You know, they did the same thing that's happening in the secular world, in the cities right now, was happening in the church a half century ago. They defunded the priests. They tore down all the statues, literally tore down the statues of saints and Blessed Mother and all this. They ripped out the communion rails. They got Catholics off of their knees, had them stand up, received communion in the hand, not on the tongue. Anything that required the devotion or the faith, the simple faith of a child, was destroyed by these modernists. And then they turned a woke mob loose in the sanctuaries, in the seminaries, in the schools. It's no accident that the premier Catholic university in America awarded an honorary degree to the most pro-abortion president in history. What does this have to do with Klaus Schwab? And the connection, again, is amazing. But before we get to that, we have to talk about the bizarre middle-of-the-night ritual that took place beneath the streets of Rome way back in 1965. It was called the Catacombs Pact. 92-year-old Father Luigi Batazzi is the last known survivor of a secret pact that experts say may have influenced Pope Francis. Signed 50 years ago at the time of Vatican II by Catholic bishops in this underground church in Rome. Called the Pact of the Catacombs, it vowed to create a poor church for the poor, the same church Pope Francis says he wants today. Yes, we have to go back on November 16th, 1965. And that evening, 40, around 40 Father Council, Council uh, Fathers. Council yeah. Fathers, yeah. Gathered in uh, Catacomb of Domitilla. Mm -hmm. Now his Italian accent is a little thick. So what he's talking about there when he mentions these Council Fathers. Now these are the Council Fathers. These are the bishops of Vatican II. The most powerful, prestigious prelates in the church at the time going down into the catacombs of Rome at the close of the council. And they decide, for example, to decide uh, to refuse, for example, to be called eminency, mm -hmm. monsignor. So they wanted to be called like father. Now, does that sound familiar? You know, we've seen this now with Francis in spades. He's no longer the vicar of Christ. He's no longer your holiness. He's not even pope anymore. The Francis now is just plain, simple, stripped-down Francis. And we can say, for example, that uh, they decide to refuse all the insignia. Okay. And when I see insignia, it means... Uh, uh, like the, no, yeah. the cross, the, the rings. Yeah. Not the, yeah. This included, obviously, doing away with the papal tiara, or the crown, the symbol of the Pope's ruling authority, which has been there for a thousand years. From 1143, in fact, to 1963, the papal tiara was solemnly placed on the Pope's head during the papal coronation. Pope Paul VI was crowned Pope. He wasn't inaugurated. He was crowned. 
And they got rid of that institution of the monarchy at every level in the Catholic confessional states for the 100 years before that. And finally, they got rid of the idea of crowning the Pope. He no longer was a monarch. He was more like a president, which is exactly where they wanted it. So in 1964, Pope Paul VI renounces that crown, and the popes have never been crowned since. And after his mass, we're talking about Francis now, after his massive inauguration in 2013, he said that he wanted a poor church for the poor people. You remember this? Ah, come vorrei una chiesa povera. E per i poveri. Now, that, that, that advocacy, Francis's advocacy of the church of the poor, which he loves to talk about because it makes him look so virtuous, he's all about the poor, this is a direct reference now to the catacomb pact. And again, all week long, the past two or three weeks, we keep hearing this, this mantra that the church is going to become the church of the poor, as though the church had no connection to the poor of the past, as we've explained so many times. And this is one of those things that you should just have like this at your fingertips. When anybody brings this up, that the Church of Vatican II now cares about the poor, just remind them that the Catholic Church invented the idea of hospitals, invented the idea of orphanages and soup kitchens and schools all across the world for a couple thousand years. She knew a little something about the poor. So the only reason they're bringing this up is, an, is, is as an excuse to abandon the theology of the Catholic Church, to abandon the liturgy of the Catholic Church. And it just sounds so compassionate. We care about poor people. More than 2,000 years worth of priests, bishops, and popes cared about poor people. That's the game. Again, so transparent and so stupid that it makes you nauseous. But that's what they're trying to do. Francis then, he used the Amazon Synod of 2019. Now, this is, this is when the lights went out soon thereafter. The Amazon Synod was the last thing any of us remember before the world blew up with the whole COVID thing. He was so eager to put that thing on display, this weird thing that had happened back in 1965, that he has a special celebration of the catacombs packed. I was in Rome at the time, and I talked about it then. You might remember some of this. Now, tomorrow, again, just a few hours from now, this commemoration of the Catacomb Pact at the Amazon Synod, no less, will reinforce Francis's personal commitment you know, to, to enlist the church in the effort to establish a new social order, exactly as paragraph 10 of the Catacombs Pact, the original Catacombs Pact, vowed to do over 50 years ago. Quote, We will do our utmost so that those responsible for our government and for our public services, make and put into practice laws, structures, and social institutions required by justice and charity, equality in the harmonic and holistic development of all men and women, and by this means, bring about the advent of another and new social order, end quote, also known as the New World Order, based not on the kingship of Christ, but again on the Freemasonic idea of the brotherhood of man. These guys are going to be commemorating this 50-year-old incident that happened at the close of the Second Vatican Council. And this commemoration is being organized by Archbishop Erwin Kreutler. Now, he's one of the official spokesmen of the Amazon Synod, and he was on the committee, actually, that wrote the Instrumental Labor. So he's a pretty important guy at the Synod. And after a press conference last week, I personally videotaped him admitting to Edward Penton that he's in favor of women priests. Check this out. Is the ordination of women deacons part of a push to ordain women priests in the church? I guess many of the bishops are in favor. Women 
now are able, not are able, to be ordained. Why? So you support women. You would like to see women si. ordained priests. Logically. So now, in just a few hours, tomorrow morning, this guy, in favor of women priests, he will head up a group of synod fathers at the commemoration mass at sunrise in Rome, down in the catacomb. The exact spot where the original catacomb pact took place some 54 years ago. What the Amazon Synod was actually doing was implementing the catacombs pact. I always say that Pope Francis is the new catacombs pact. In 2016, a day-long seminar in Rome took place, marking the anniversary of this catacomb pact. And according to the Washington Post, Cardinal Casper was on board, and he admitted that Pope Francis's program is, to a high degree, what the catacomb pact was all about. Who was the mastermind behind the catacombs pact? The guy who led the Council Fathers of Vatican II down under the streets of Rome to declare war on the old church. Who was that? Our young Italian friend in the video clip just named him. Around 40 mm -hmm. Council Fathers. One of those was, as I said, Helder Camara. Bishop Helder Camara, or Camara, to anglicize it. He was born in 1909. He died 90 years later. An extremely influential person in South America and in the church in general. The self-identified socialist archbishop from Brazil, whom Francis would declare a servant of God in 2015. He's an advocate of liberation theology, of course, He's the Bishop of the Slums. <laughs> Starting to sound familiar? Well, it should. He is the role model of one Jorge Mario Bergoglio. He attended all four sessions of the Second Vatican Council and even played a significant role in drafting Gaudium et Spes, one of the 16 document documents of Vatican II, on the pastoral constitution of the church in the modern world, which now, according to Monsignor Gherardini, professor of the ecclesiology at the Pontifical Lateran University, makes the church one, speak, one speaker among many others and robs her of the nature of sacramentum Christi and of her subsequent responsibility concerning eternal salvation. And yes, it was Archbishop Camara who on November 16, 1965, led 42 powerful council fathers, bishops, down into the catacombs to sign the catacombs pact. There's a bit more on that. And they also vowed to put pressure on international organizations to help change the economic structures which they said exploit the poor. These are all points that are remarkably similar to Pope Francis's agenda for the church today. Francis hit the ground running with the catacombs pact. I was there. I was in Rome. I was in the Vatican when this happened. I was in the Paul VI audience hall that very day. Francis was rolling out the catacombs pact right before our eyes. This was, of course, the brainchild of a socialist archbishop with Marxist sympathies who didn't believe that we should obsess over things like contraception, by the way, either. Archbishop Kamara criticized, in fact, Pope Paul VI's removal of artificial contraception from the purview of the Second Vatican Council, calling the prohibition of contraception a, quote, mistake 
meant to torture spouses and to disturb peace of many homes, so says Kamara. Now, do you understand why it is after Francis got in, whose mentor was this clown, Kamara, well, after Francis, everything there was just no stopping anybody. Even Jeffrey Sachs then becomes a celebrity guest speaker in the Vatican, even though he's a huge proponent of contraception and population control. So the world is uh, getting very crowded, and the big problem is that in the poorest countries, uh, families are still having six, seven, or eight children. That's what's putting this uh, tremendous growth of population. Well, I think the main thing is that uh, when women in poor countries have better choice, they're better informed, they have education, they choose to have fewer children. Uh, they choose to adopt family planning or contraception. It's all beginning to make sense. And so you're asking, understandably, what's the connection to Klaus Schwab? Finally, come on. Well, here it is. Archbishop Kamara, council father, one of the authors of Gaudium et Spes, revolutionary personality who's responsible for the catacombs pact. He's got one more point on his resume. <laughs> he was a major influence on a young Klaus Schwab. I, I give you one example, which for me was probably a crucial moment in my life. I traveled for the first time uh, to Brazil. I met a priest uh, who was known at that time as the priest of the poor people. Hmm. Uh, his name was Don Elder Camara. And he brought me to the favelas of uh, Recife and I was so shocked. And I said, I have to invite this bishop to Davos mm. to tell the people what poverty is. So I invited him to, to, to the annual meeting in Davos, but some when I came back in Switzerland, I found out that actually he was forbidden at that time Ooh. to speak in Switzerland because he was considered to be a communist. And I said, this is for me a test. But then I noticed that many companies told me, if you invite this person, who is so much against business, we will not come to Davos anymore. And that's where I had to stand to my values. Yeah. Even at the risk that I would have to give up uh, the World Economic Forum. Wow. Um, but it went very well. Uh, I have to say, um, the audience in Davos listened to him. So what we're talking about here is one of the council fathers and a speaker at Davos. The guys who are setting up the World Economic Forum, the Great Reset, and the New World Order. He was one of them, ladies and gentlemen. And they also vowed to put pressure on international organizations to help change the economic structures which they said exploit the poor. These are all points that are remarkably similar to Pope Francis's agenda for the church today. It's the same revolution. It's the same players, in fact. The Great Reset was indeed hatched in a catacomb beneath the streets of Rome at the close of the Second Vatican Council in 1965. And it just took a while to get to the point politically where it is now. But it's the same movement. I met a priest uh, who was known at that time as the priest of the poor people. Hmm. Uh, his name was Don Elder Camara. One of the most profound moments in the life of Klaus Schwab 
was his meeting with, <laughs> with the leader of the Catacombs Pact, celebrated in Rome, not only at the time, but during the Amazon Synod in 2019, when, by the way, the pagan idols of Pachamama were processed into the holiest place in Christendom, the holiest place of pilgrimage in Christendom, St. Peter's Basilica. The abomination of desolation was set up at that moment. And a few months, a few months later, all the churches in the world would be locked down and lock their doors. <laughs> and we still haven't recovered from that. Now, once we realize what these connections mean, once we realize that there really is no separation of church and state, <laughs> that the global super state needed to sort of take the Catholic church, the moral authority of the church over, infiltrate the church in order to make this happen. Once we realize how long they've been working on this and what it all means, it actually becomes a lot easier to do what we need to do. We get to see what's going on and it becomes easy to recognize our duty as faithful Christians. We have no choice, friends. I've been saying this for a long time, but I hope this connection helps us all see it. We have no choice but to resist these infiltrators. We need to spread the word. Vatican II, the Great Reset, the Novus Ordo, which means new order. <laughs> new world order in the church, new world order in the world. It's the same. They had to get rid of Christ the King. They had to get rid of the traditional teachings of the church on marriage and abortion and contraception. You see, it's all connected. It's all part of the same exact revolution against the kingship of Jesus Christ. <laughs> Bottom line, don't give up. Keep fighting. You know, call your bishops. There's a lot of good bishops who are waking up right now. Call them, support them, pray for them. Call your political representatives. Let them know where you stand. Stand up, fight back, watch the amazing things that can and will happen friends when pro-god pro-family and pro-country clans people like us when we unite together against the whacked out sorry old hippies of globalist tyranny trying to dominate the world right now like the lunatics that they are when we unite against them great things are going to happen they're going to fail especially god help us if we wake up so let's wake up Let's go out into the street and let's win this war. I know we can do it, and we're going to do it. We're doing it right now. I'm Michael Matt for Remnant TV, friends. Thank you so much for listening. Keep the faith, stay strong, and we'll see you next week.